Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely what Sarah Josepha Hale may have considered a weird distraction from everyday life. This week's distraction covers the mysterious disappearance of an American singer-songwriter that has left many baffled. But before jumping into that, I've got a wee bit of housekeeping I have to go over, and then I'll let you in on what I need a distraction from this week. If you have a need for a distraction that you'd like for me to read on air, please feel free to send it my way by either shooting me a DM or by sending me an email. In terms of housekeeping, just a sad reminder that Weird Distractions is coming to an end, with the final episode coming out on February 25th. It will be the show's official 200th episode, and I hope you all will tune in for the final hurrah. If you're tuning in for the first time and you're like, wait, what? What's going on? Whoa, what is this news? Tune into last week's episode where I kind of give a little bit of an explanation as to what's been going on, why the show is ending, and where you will hear me say that my need for distraction last week is going to be the same this week, and the week after that, and the week after that is just trying to accept my decision to end the show. Again, it's not an easy choice, but you know what? It feels right right now, and I'm excited to see what the future holds, and I'm going to leave it at that. But I'm not leaving you just yet because we have a disappearance case that I want to tell you all about today, so let's just jump into it. It's been a minute since I covered a disappearance case, and I figured why not highlight one before the show comes to an end. Having said that, this week we're going to learn about the mysterious disappearance of Elizabeth Eaton Converse, best known under her professional or stage name, Connie Converse. The reason why her disappearance is such a mystery is because people don't know if she disappeared on her own accord or if something happened. Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, references to suicide, and other potential disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Elizabeth Converse, henceforward referred to as Connie, was born on August 3, 1924, in the city of Lacona, within the American state of New Hampshire. Lacona, for any geographical enthusiasts, is about a 30 to 40 minute drive away from the state's capital of Concord. Speaking of Concord, that's actually where Connie grew up with her two siblings and their parents, Ernest and Evelyn. The Converse family has been described as being a strict Baptist family, with Connie's father working as a local minister. 
Similar to the town in Footloose, dancing, alcohol, car playing, and mentioning of the word sex were apparently forbidden within the walls of the Converse home based on resources I came across online. Now, although this may sound kind of bleak, music seemed to be a key point early on in Connie's life growing up as her mother was an accomplished piano player. I got the sense that the family often engaged in playing music, whether it was singing or playing different instruments. It just seemed like the Converse family was very musically involved with one another, which is amazing. Even though only religious and classical music were allowed to play in the home, the early introduction to music seemed to have an impact on middle child Connie. Connie eventually graduated high school in Concord, being the class valedictorian and winning numerous awards before going to Holyoke College in Massachusetts on a scholarship. I can imagine that her parents and family were probably thrilled and super proud of her, given this was also the school that Connie's mother and grandmother went to. So it's one of those moments where I'm sure they're like, wow, she's following our family footsteps. It definitely sounds like a really positive moment. Connie attended Holyoke for two years before leaving and moving to New York City in the 1950s. You may be thinking, why New York? Why was she leaving her life behind in Massachusetts and going to New York? Other than obviously being a bigger city and perhaps offering more opportunities, the move was Connie's decision to pursue something that she was very passionate about, being music. Her previously described strict parents were reportedly heartbroken with her New York decision. In a direct quote from Connie's other brother, Phil, taken from the OWL website, quote, Having long ago proven that she was fit for the world in a way most weren't, college degree or not, Phil says he was certain Connie would be fine, eventually outgrowing what he calls an act of pure rebellion. His mother and father, however, were heartbroken. I think they assumed she was running away from them, says Phil, and my guess is that maybe they were right, end quote. Life in New York for Connie seemed to be a perfect fit at first. She found an apartment in Greenwich Village fairly quickly, and she also found work for herself without really any disclosed struggle. Everything seemed to kind of fall into place for her. New York may have also provided more inspiration for Connie, as it's been believed that New York was where she began songwriting. Connie would play the guitar and write songs, performing in front of friends and family before she found herself performing on CBS's The Morning Show. She even had some of her folk songs recorded on a reel-to-reel tape recorder which later on would be given to her brother and sister-in-law. The American Blue Scene website noted the following regarding Connie's music. Quote, Connie's songs were very stark, very much unpolished, and very refreshingly honest. Though her songs are from a time some seven decades removed from our own, they remain exceptionally relatable. End quote. Connie seemed to have so much potential, and yet her career didn't take off as it perhaps should have. Although Connie apparently had fans and was putting in the work to make a name for herself, record labels didn't think she could, quote, commercially take off with her music. Because of this, Connie found herself not being taken seriously and was even rejected by record label after record label. By 1961, then 37-year-old Connie decided she was going to leave New York City and abandon her musical career perhaps frustrated on getting declined by the big music wigs who weren't seeing her potential. Connie packed her bags and moved to Ann Arbor within the state of Michigan where her younger brother Phil was. Connie couldn't give up on writing, though, as she would become the writer and managing editor of the Journal of Conflict Resolution, 
Reports claim Connie really put her heart and soul into this job. So, as many can imagine, when the journal was slowly being sold off after it moved to Yale, she was emotionally left in ruins. I took this as another major roadblock for Connie, a writer who was trying to make a name for herself and pouring herself into all of her creative outlets, only to be shut down or shut out. Publishing or releasing creative work to the world can be a very rewarding but draining thing, and it becomes a bit of a snake-eating-its-own-tail situation. Some days are good, others are far from that. Nonetheless, let's get back to Connie and jump ahead to August of 1974. People who knew Connie would recall that Connie was depressed. Having lost her job and previously given up on her musical dream, I don't think it's unfair of her to have felt some type of way at this point in her life. In one YouTube video highlighting interviews of Connie's friends and family, Connie's nephew Tim Converse noted that his aunt may have been struggling with alcohol dependency as well around this time. Although she was typically described as a private person, often keeping her personal relationships among other aspects of her life fairly hidden, it sounds as if it was obvious she was struggling one way or another to those around her. One resource I came across noted that some of her friends and family actually pooled money together to send Connie to England in order to kind of get her out of this slump. However, that same resource is noted that when she returned, it was evident that the vacation was not cured by any means. And that's the thing with mental health. I mean, you can go to different places, you can see all these beautiful things, but at the end of the day, if you are struggling with depression, anxiety, or really anything, you can't just vacation your way out of those symptoms. Connie's mother, Evelyn, had apparently suggested another trip option for her, noting that the two could go to Alaska together, which didn't seem to have much of a positive effect on Connie. I kind of gathered that Connie was not overtly thrilled to be going on this trip with her mother. Because, again, it's been described that Connie's family was very strict, her parents were heartbroken when Connie dropped out of school. I don't want to assume anything, but I, I got the sense that Connie maybe felt like an outsider within her family. On top of all of this, at some point around this era of her life, being the early 1970s, Connie was told she would need to get a hysterectomy. For those who haven't heard of this medical procedure, a hysterectomy is the surgical removal of the uterus and sometimes even the cervix. In other words, Connie is going through a lot of changes in her life. She's needing to change her career again, she's struggling with depression and potentially alcohol dependency, and now she's needing a major surgery. So there's a lot of things going on for Connie, and I could see personally that being extremely overwhelming. It was August of 1974 when Connie turned the big 5-0, and her emotional state was described as still struggling with depression. Based on reports, Connie went on to write handwritten letters to family and friends suggesting her intention to make a new life back in New York City. There was only one letter typed out, which was found within her filing cabinet and reads as follows. Quote, To anyone who ever asks if I'm long unheard from, this is the thin, hard sublayer under all the parting messages I'm likely to have sent. Let me go. Let me be if I can. Let me be if I can't. For a number of years, I've been the object of affectionate concern to my relatives and many friends in Ann Arbor, have received not just financial and spiritual support from them, have made a number of efforts in this benign situation to get a new toe hold on the lively world, have failed. In the months after I got back from my desperate flight to England, I began to realize that my new personal incapabilities were still stubbornly handing in. 
I did fight, but they hung in. To survive it all, I expect I must drift back down through the other half of the 20th 20th, which I already know pretty well, to the 100th 20th, which I have only heard about. I might survive there quite a few years, who knows? But you have to understand, I have to do it with no benign umbrella. Human society fascinates me and awes me and fills me with grief and joy. I can't just find my peace to plug into it. So let me go, please, and accept my thanks for those happy times. I am in everybody's debt, end quote. In a different letter to her brother Philip, Connie had apparently included a check with the request that he make sure that her health insurance was paid for. But she only asked that her health insurance be paid for for a certain amount of time and that he stop paying the policy on a certain date. I feel as though I don't have to really expand on why this is weird, but I will just say, in case you're not thinking about it, this seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, why would you have your brother pay your life insurance for only a certain amount of time unless you're planning on doing something or leaving, going somewhere far away where maybe you just don't need it? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, a family lake trip was supposedly on the horizon for the Converse clan, but before it took place, Connie's letters were being sent out, her bags were packed, and she was off in her Volkswagen Beetle. Connie's family would never hear from her again. It was as if she and her car vanished into thin air. Although she sent letters indicating she wanted to start her life over, people still missed Connie and wondered where she went and whether she was okay or not. She was an adult with the right to disappear if she chose to, but that doesn't mean that the circumstances weren't unsettling for those who loved and cared for Connie. It's unclear as to what happened to the trailblazing pioneer music maker. To this day, no one seems to know what her days looked like before she left or what they looked like after she left. Some believe that Connie may have left to live a private life far away. However, others believe that she may have went somewhere to end her life. Given her emotional state before she went, and given what was put in some of the letters, I kind of got the sense that people thought, okay, maybe Connie was suicidal. Maybe she was done with trying to put her all into things. It's obviously a bit of speculation because we don't actually know what happened. I will say from what I gathered in my research, I don't believe there was any foul play ever theorized. I don't think people thought that she had been kidnapped or murdered or anything to that nature. I never came across any of that. Alas, you know, I think there's just the, still this big question mark for everybody, even though she did say, hey, I want to start my life over again. I think just not hearing from her after the fact has been probably the hardest part for everybody. Ten years after she disappeared, resources claim that the Converse family actually hired a private investigator in hopes of finding what happened to Connie. Maybe they could find out where she went, among other questions I'm sure they had. However, the investigator informed the family that even if he did find Connie, if she continued to choose to stay away, she had a right to do as such. After that conversation, and I'm sure many others, it's been stated that Connie's family respected her decision to leave. Eventually, they stopped looking for her. Years later, Connie's music actually resurfaced, and a new listenership began to develop. That and further interest into the life and mysterious disappearance of Connie. With this new resurfaced interest in Connie's life and, you know, her music and everything that she did, there would be a 2023 book titled To Anyone Who Ever Asks, written by Howard Fisherman, that would highlight Connie's life where he would interview friends and family to kind of get more of an understanding of Connie outside of what kind of was publicly known, like a really in-depth 
let's figure out who Connie was before she disappeared and highlighting the disappearance too. I would highly recommend anyone to check out the book if you're able to and also take a listen at Connie's music. My personal recommendation is to start with a song, Talking Like You, Two Tall Mountains, because personally it makes me wonder if she eventually found her place between two mountains to be at peace. Anyways, that's all I have for this week's episode, so let's wrap it up. What would you do if a person you love suddenly left without any further contact? Would you go after them? Would you respect their peace? When it comes to Connie, I can imagine it would have been hard for friends and family to not try and pursue any further investigation into where Connie went to. As adults, we have the right to leave and start a new life if we choose to. But as someone on the outside of such a decision, how do you decide whether you try and follow to find that person? Nonetheless, wherever Connie ended up, I hope she found peace. I also hope her friends and family were able to remember the good times had with her, and I hope that people continue to discover her music. I would love to hear from listeners regarding your thoughts on today's episode. Please feel free to shoot me a DM or send me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Are you looking to rep some Weird Distractions merch? Please check out the link in today's show notes for the bonfire link. It's never a bad time to treat somebody you love or perhaps treat yourself. Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcasts at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.